back. Hooray. Thank you so much for those of you who filled out your cards. I, I'm always amazed that um, women do it, and I'm just overwhelmed um, by what I read. I'm so grateful. Uh, in Peacemaker, uh, Peacemaker Ministries, actually just in the field of Christian mediation, we talk about how uh, we use the word picture. If, if someone invites you into their conflict, it's like they're, they're handing over the, their great-great-great-great-great-grandmother's fine bone china, you know, like the two remaining pieces that came over on the ship, you know, like that actual. And that's how it feels when I get those cards. I just think, oh, these are so precious, and um, it really is an honor. And it also helps me as I think through the rest of our time together. So thanks so much um, for those of you who, who did that. I also want to commend you and uh, for taking the time to name your fears, writing it down, and just keep encouraging you. How can you take that home um, to think about in the future? Judy Dabbler and I, in our book, Peacemaking Women, we actually have an entire chapter on fear. And in Peacemaking Women, uh, I, I would say Judy says, because anything really good in the book is all Judy. So, um, but in Peacemaking Women, we'll just say, it says, um, most of us live according to fear because we have not taken the time to reflect on and evaluate our lives and our hearts. And I think that is, I, again, I think it's all Judy. It's a, but it's a very um, telling and compelling statement. A lot of times we just kind of crank through life. Isn't it true? I mean, we barely have time to make sure we have matching shoes on, more or less have time to think about these bigger things. And, and that's why, too, isn't it just such a great privilege that we can have a whole day away? And, and the freedom that has been bought and is being bought this very day at great Price, the greatest price that can be paid so we can gather with Bibles and without fear of, of um, prosecution and, and imprisonment. I just, I'm mindful of it um, every time I come to an event. So I just want to encourage you and commend you. And I, I want to say there were more than a few. It, it certainly wasn't the majority, just to let you know. But there were more than a few of you who really put yourself on the scale. You know, I'm not really living in a, in a lot of fear right now. And it's not currently something I'm struggling with. Um, I mean, some things, but kind of more low-level. And isn't that great? I mean, praise the Lord. I, I think it's wonderful when we have those seasons of shalom and um, we're not in some kind of, of anxiety-producing moment. And I do want to commend to you one resource um, that's out on the table that I hope every one of you owns something like this, if not um, this. And it's called, have you heard of the Quick Scripture Reference for Counseling Women? Have you guys heard of these Quick Scripture Reference? The reason why I like these so much, and especially for those of you who are in kind of a season where you're not really in a lot of fear and you could be doing what? Serving others more, right? Isn't there times when we're the quivering masses of jello and we need someone to come in and minister to us? And woohoo, I'm actually at a moment when I can be encouraging and serving others. The reason why I like these quick scripture references guides so much, especially this one for women, is because even the super-duper little fancy smartphone, iPhone thingies that you guys have, and, and I say you guys because my phone is still just a phone. Can you believe it? I know, it's really weird. And so if I want to text, you know, you have to hit the numbers like a bunch of times. It's like, a, 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 d, 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 like to get to the E, you know, it's very funny. But at any rate, um, concordances or Google searches, um, all of those things, they're helpful, but... They search according to words, right? Not concepts. 
Um, although I guess maybe the Siri, Suri, Suri, the she really is taking over your life now thingy. You know, maybe she can do it. But um, until then, we need somebody who looks through all of Scripture, both Old and New Testament, and then groups Scripture according to topics. And that's what these are. Um, because isn't it true that there's a lot of things that we could turn to in Scripture to help us about anger that never uses the word anger? Right? And it's that idea. So, for instance, um, abortion, abuse, adoption, adultery, aging, alcohol abuse, anger, anxiety, apparel, birth control, bitterness, broken heart, career, care of elderly parents. You see how it kind of goes through. We're probably not going to find the phrase um, apparel. Well, we might have find apparel, I guess. I don't really know. But we might not find, oh, we definitely would find gossip, for sure. Oh, here's one. We will not find the word internet in the Bible. Okay, just so you just know. Right? <laughs> Okay, so do you see how it can be helpful? So I just want to commend it to you. An inexpensive way, I say, to have someone much smarter than me. It's like they're there helping me with it. So, okay. Um, as I went through your cards, I grouped by genre because I like office supplies. I don't think I did. Did I, um, in the video series, did I show you my Santa letter? Did I? Okay. I'm going to show you my center because I don't think I did. I meant to, and I forgot when we made the Living the Gospel Relationship video series. Um, you know when you're learning to write, and you've got, like, that solid line and that dashed line and that solid line, and you've got the big gap paper? So this is literally still, it's like, what are you, first grade, kindergarten, first grade? Circa 1976. This is the actual one. Dear Santa, I am trying to be good. I would like some office supplies. Love, Tara. <laughs> And I even have a little Christmas stocking right there. Can you see? The staples have worn away, but the compulsion has not worn away. This is still who I am. Isn't it precious? I just hope I never lose it. Don't put that in your checked luggage. No way. So. But I grouped them by genre. And um, just like at, those of you who are at the women's retreat, um, every event there's always some certain topic that pops. It's, it's, it's interesting. I never know what it's going to be. You know, um, for instance, many of you shared about financial things, as you can imagine, this economy, financial concerns, and job losses, or health, or whatever. So, but you, you sort by genre, and then the stacks, there's like one stack that, that pops out. It's, it's, to use statistical terms, it's an outlier, right? It's not in the bell curve of normal. It's over here as an outlier. It's, there's more than in the other ones. And I always call it, that's events thing. Like, what's your thing? You know what that thing is. Well, I was down in New Mexico. You know, they had that thing, right? And so um, I know what your thing is. Now, do you want to know what it is? But I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> not until after we've read 1 Peter 2. But then I will tell you. So I'm going to, let's go ahead and open to 1 Peter 2. And I, I love, because 1 Peter 2, just, you know, much better, of course, than I did. But 1 Peter 2 organizes a lot of these fears and worries and anxieties. And, and what did the term Peter use? Griefs and suffering and all kind of trial into the big groups. So again, if you're active listening, I know it's hard but try to discipline yourself to actually listen, be reading, listening, translating it into your ESV or NASV or, you know, whatever your um, translation is. Um, think about the groups or the genres. How is it that these things are grouped? So I'm going to read from 1 Peter 2, 
And then we're going to look at those categories. So 1 Peter 2. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have, ri- now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. By the way, I'm 41. I totally need new glasses. The kind with the, the um, what's it called? Yes, I can't see this Bible, but it's my travel Bible. So I really need to get a different Bible and a different pair of glasses. So uh, bear, bearing with me here. First uh, Peter 2, you've tasted that the Lord is good, beginning at verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, the stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among among men, whether to the king as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men. But do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is the word of God. Did you see, oh, and in your handouts, one of my many weaknesses I'm trying to do better at, we're in session two. And so this is the session that's talking about how fear affects our souls and our bodies. And we're talking in the first section here about our fears and the Emmanuel uh, promise. Did you see in 1 Peter 2 
a lot of these kind of groupings or classifications of fears and struggles. Um, he used words like malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, rejection, shame, sinful desires which wage war in our souls, ignorant talk of foolish men, evil, harsh masters, pain, unjust sufferings, beatings, suffering for doing good, insults, threats, sheep going astray. So just, I have to be very honest, there was a small stack brought to me at the very end and I did not get to read through it. So I can only speak to like 85% of those of you who turned in cards, but I promise the rest I'm going to read and pray over tonight. Promise. Um, Oh, maybe I'll even get to, to at lunch if I don't have a lot of questions at the table, but Train of thought just jumps from track to track, doesn't it? They're bad. If you're a very linear thinker, that's extraordinarily annoying to you, and you can write that on your feedback form too. So, um, 85% of you, they fit right in these kind of categories, and now I will talk to you about your thing because it just, it's screaming right here, and it's going to bring us right into our, um, our main thrust of what I'm hoping you will hear, that I will hear that we will be thinking about even as we uh, head into the lunch hour. Um, And it says, here's the lesser ones. We talked about jobs and finances, huge fears and worries for people. Um, The second one, though, was medical crises, fear of uh, medical crises that are happening for yourself or someone you love, cancer, uh, disease, fatal illness, intractable pain, just even the very fear of death. And that was an interesting thing. When we went through Running Scared as a a women's group at our church, it was interesting to see generationally the way the fears varied too. And of course, more of uh, the young people should be worried about death than are. But of course, as uh, we had women in their 80s and 90s, and we even had a 100-year-old woman. Um, But of course, she's thinking more about her physical passing than a lot of the 22-year-olds were at the same time. So um, you, many of you, though, have, uh, you shared about uh, strong fears related to dying or the death of someone you love, especially a spouse or a child. Um, And then the the third kind of subset was strong fears related to unsaved people, um, either children or grandchildren or coworkers or loved ones, but really the children, grandchildren burden uh, is just so great. And And I marked and marked and marked and went. But interestingly, none of those is your thing. Not one. Here here is your thing. I I had to stop writing down examples of it because I couldn't keep up with all of the examples that they are. And 1 Peter 2 actually uses uses the actual word that I would use to describe, describe it. I won't tell you what it is, and I'll I'll read them to you and see if you can find from what I just read in 1 Peter 2 what it is your words described. I fear I'm not good enough. I fear I won't get everything done. I'm afraid I'm not perfect. By the way, whoever you are, you're not. (laughs) So I just let it go. I I don't know who you are, but you're not Jesus, so you're not perfect. But um, he said, I fear not being perfect. Someone said, I fear I'm letting God down. I fear people won't like me. I am so lonely. I fear failure. 
I fear I will make a mistake. And again, here's another one I just want to be like, again, if you were the one who actually wrote down the words, I fear I will make a mistake, you will. This is the thing. I just, whatever it is you do, even if we have these transcendent moments where we happen to do one aspect of our life without mistake, that is the exception, not the rule, right? The rule is that we are so fallible and we're so fallen. But, but again, this is the words. I fear failure. I fear I will make a mistake. Performance. I'm constantly performance-oriented. Quote, I don't measure up. Here's another one. I fear what people think of me. Another one. I fear I will not be accepted. Someone wrote three times with exclamation points. My failure, my failure, my failure. What is the word in 1 Peter 2 that encompasses your thing? Everything I just read to you. And by the way, there were more. See, some of you might be thinking, no, no, that was just mine. And she made the rest up to make me feel better, right? She's decided. <laughs> it was like, I'm telling you, I have a lot of weaknesses, but in general, I'm not a liar, okay? So I'm just, this, these are your words, not my words. What's the word, the descriptor? He talks about it here, and then I want to talk about it for a minute, too. Does anybody know? Rejection, yeah, close. Shame. I just like, yelled at her. Sorry, that came out stronger than I meant to. Let me try again. <gasps> Shame. Like that. <laughs> that would have been a way more appropriate way to say it. So um, look at 1 Peter 2, verse 6. 1 Peter 2, verse 6. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to Do you see how all of these words are shame-based words? I'm not good enough because I'm trusting in myself. They might not accept me. I'm afraid they won't accept me because I'm thinking about myself. Failure, failure, failure. Whose failure? God's failure? No. Whose failure? My failure. Do you see? Um, Again, and I'm not... I promise I'm not trying to sell you books, but I do want to encourage you to get some other book by someone else on this topic if you want to. But in Peacemaking Women, we actually have an entire chapter on shame because I think shame and Judy, who is the trained theologian and counselor, and I'm the person she helped. See, that's how I contribute to Peacemaking Women. She's the counselor, and I'm the counselee. Is, um, we have chapter 10 is all on shame because we have found this is the most common emotion that women in particular, men can feel shame based on how that struggle, but this feeling of I'm not good enough, I'm not good enough, I am not perfect, my house is not good enough, I'm not a good enough wife, I'm not a good enough father, I'm not a good enough widow, I'm not a good enough single person, I'm not a good enough aunt, I'm not a good enough worker, I'm not a good enough at home. I'm not, I mean, it is this constant sense, this crushing sense of not measuring up. And what is the only antidote to shame? The only antidote to not good enough, not good enough, not good enough. It is not to say, you're just fine. You're okay, honey. Aw, sweetie pie, you're doing great. You're actually a good cook, Tara. Really. I mean, do you see how all the affirmations in the world will never speak to this heart? But 1 Peter uh, 2, 6 does. The one who trusts in who? The chosen and precious cornerstone. What is that? The stone that has been laid inside. What is that all talking about? Jesus. 
there is a righteous record, and it is not ours. And by the way, this is what, uh, I, I, even in last night, or last week with the fetal position, and then even through the week, I would just wake up in the morning, just, I absolutely was crushed by these same kind of thoughts and feelings and thinking these thoughts. Um, but if you had asked me, Tara, are you afraid you're not going to hell? I mean, are you afraid you're not going to heaven, that you're going to go to hell? I would have said, oh, no, 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 no. I, I know Jesus died for my sins. And isn't it true that even while we say things like this, the foundation of our eternal life and security, we would actually confess is, is secure for most of us. Now, some of us might not, but I think most of us would. Wouldn't we say that? Are you going to hell? I'm not going to hell. I'm going to heaven. Jesus died for my sins. But what about my stupidity? What wakes me up in the night and I go, oh, 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 oh. It, it's not that I'm sitting there like, oh, there's this giant sin and it's going to damn me to hell. It's, I can't believe I said that, I can't believe I said that, I can't believe I said that. And, and it always has this element, it's not even what I said, it's that someone heard it, right? <laughs> there's an unmasking. There's this kind of nakedness to it that it's not just that I did the stupid thing. Someone saw I did the stupid thing. Because, you know what? I'm actually more comfortable in my dog hair, dust-infested house than, you know, I really am. But when someone comes into it, and then I see them at the door going to leave, and they are wearing my house on them. Because black is the, you know, people wear black. And it's like you just have to, you grab the lint brush, and you're just like... One moment there, sweetie, one moment, you know? And you're trying to get off the layers of dust and butter. And that's when I feel the condemnation, and even though my friends don't care, right? My, does a real friend care? A real friend might get the lint brush out, but she doesn't care. She doesn't mind. <laughs> but I feel the weight of it, right? I feel, my husband doesn't mind cereal for dinner. I know that sounds weird. He's really blessed when I um, meet my standard for cooking, which is this is, this is what real cooking is. You can't just, like, take out the Costco lasagna and put it in the oven. Nah, that's faking, right? Because somebody else made it, and you're applying heat. That doesn't count. Cooking, to me, is a recipe with the measury thingies. You need, like, spoons and cups and ingredients that you have to shop for and do something to them, like wash or chop. You know, there's something you have to shop for. You do something. You have the measury thingies. And then you apply heat. That is the only time I'm a good wife. That's what I think. That is the only time I meet my standard for being a good wife and mother. And by the way, this does not happen very often in my house. Because even if I just, like, dump the frozen grilled chicken, you know, stir-fry thing, and no, that's some of you are judging me really badly here. I mean, I feel good that I have vegetables and meat, and I'm, I thought about something for dinner, and I put it on. But it doesn't count, right? It doesn't go into the credit column because... I didn't chop the chicken, and I didn't chop the broccoli, and I didn't... I don't, what even spices do you put in a stir-fry? I don't know. I have the little packet that says stir-fry spices, you know? Like, I don't... I know that inside of there, there are certain flavors, but I don't know what they are. So, all of this not measuring up, this unmasking, this being found out, those are different faces of shame. And guys, you guys, this room is full of women who are struggling with shame. And you know, one of the reasons why I hate shame the most, why it is so insidious, is because you are sitting, statistically, based on how many of you said it, 
more than likely you are sitting next to someone who is afraid that if you got to know her, you would judge her. And more than likely, you are afraid to get to know the person next to you because you're afraid that if she got to know you, she would judge you. So we stay in these little pillars of loneliness and performance. And all the while, we are desperate to know, can I be accepted? And the gospel says, the cornerstone says, Zion says, yes, right? Just as in Christ you have been accepted, so accept one another, Romans 7, 5 or 5, 7? 7, 5, 5, 7. I don't remember. You can look it up. So um, do you hear how the gospel answers that shame? And if we begin to really believe it, we can begin to move out into the lives of other people as well. And I forgot to bring... Oh, no, I didn't. Oh, yes, I thought I brought it up. This is, I think, the book until um, May 2012. And then I'll have to tie them. I'll have to tie them together. Um, because Ed Welch... Well, this is the book. Great for now, for the next couple months. This is all you get. Ed Welch wrote a book called When People Are Big and God is Small. Have you guys read this book? When people are big and God is small, I read it at least once a year. But did you know that Ed Welch just finished a book on shame? I know I got to read it. Like to, you know, be the little person who says, wow, this is a great book. Except, you know what I said on mine was, I can't believe how he unmasked me. I mean, how I said, the words I said were, how dare he see my humiliation. Because it was so raw. And that's how he writes. Isn't it true? Um, Ed Welch, he unmasks, he, because, by the way, he is bound by the fear of man and shame and these struggles as well. But the answer in his book, Shame and Grace, and I, I think the reason he finally sat down and finished it, by the way, Ed Welch, is because their conference this year is on shame. If you want to go to a great, I know you guys host great conferences here, but if you want to go somewhere to a conference, um, CCEF, for whom I do not work, I receive no royalties or payments, and I am not trying to, you know, give a commercial but I am so, I can't go because I'm teaching somewhere else. Oregon, I think. Uh, they are conferences on shame and grace this year. So even if you just make yourself a little note on your eye thingy to pay attention back in October and go to their website, right, and listen to the audio downloads or watch the live video feeds, I, I know it's, it's going to be excellent. But in your handouts, the way I articulated it here in this Fear Not retreat, in this session I called it the Emmanuel Promise. And the Emmanuel promise answers all of those fears, job loss, financial stress, anxiety, but it also speaks to this idea of shame and not good enoughness and perfectionism. Um, because the Emmanuel promise, this is what we, we call it in our church, but it really is all of scripture. But you see it clearly in 1 Peter 2 in a language like this, that we have been chosen. Yes? Verse 4, chosen by God, that we are God's special possession. Shame rejects. The gospel chooses and accepts. Shame rejects, but the gospel chooses and accepts. Once we were not a people, hear the voice of shame in that? You do not fit it. What Bible do you use? <coughs> right? How do you dress? How do you wear your hair or makeup? What's your level of education? How do you parent your children? Dum -dum, 
right? I mean, this is the scary music. <laughs> if you loved Jesus, you would always, if you loved Jesus, you would never, and they can be like, you know something, right? This is the parenting. Ah. Um, once you were not a people, once you were outside of the family, once you didn't have a place you belonged, it's like, this is really showing my generation now, but like cheers, right? A place where everybody knows your name, right? <laughs> what, what would be the equivalent 30 years later? I don't know the hip, cool thing. But that, that, yeah, Facebook, once you had 2,000 friends, but now you don't know. But <laughs> friends, right? You are in Christ a new creation. You've received God himself. Genesis 26, of course, would be one of the beautiful things to go back and reread. But God says, I will be with you. I am he. I will preserve and protect and prosper you, and I will never give up on you. So I sat at my friend prayer group, and I showed them the ugliest of my uglies. I am going to stand in front of a group of women and say God is faithful, and he is good. And all the while, all I feel is I'm a fake and a fraud and a sham because I'm up in the night and I'm bound by worry. And I'm going to say to you, the gospel accepts you. And because of Christ, we are chosen. And all the while, I feel the weight of being rejected and not liked. I'm very easy to not like. You know, I walk into the room and people don't like me. Some of you, I don't like her. I mean, it's just, I'm, it's, it's easy to not like Tara. But then I'm going to stand here and commend to you this idea that we're chosen in God's special possession. I am going to do it. And by the way, this is a Christian life. So this is the Christian life. Um, I know that my feelings and my emotions say one thing, but I know this is truth. This is truth with a capital T. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And so I am going to, if I can't lay hold of it, then my friends will come alongside of me and they will Pull, put their arms underneath me, and they are going to lay hold of it for me until I can remember that I believe this, and then I'm going to lay hold of it as well, right? This is the whole entirety we do. And, and in your section, your next section of your notes, I called it our souls. But I, I, in this section, I really want you to hear this one main teaching point. First um, Peter 2 talks about your strain like sheep, but you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. What do you think about God? when you think about you turning to God. See, if we think that we're going to turn to God, like we're going to get up early and we're going to have a quiet time, we are going to do it. This is the year, right? This is the year. We made a spreadsheet and a checklist with a reminder, and we are on it. But how, when you return to this shepherd, this overseer, this, this God, what, what, what do you think is going to happen? You think he's going to scold you for all the times that you haven't turned to him and you haven't been praying and you haven't had your quiet time and you don't catechize your children? And by the way, I love the children's catechism, but, you know, Presbyterians, we're weird. We're weird. And so um, do you see how if we think God's going to scold us, does that make us want to turn to him and commune with him and think of him and pray to him? If we go through all of our Christian walk Thinking that God thinks about us the same way we think about us. Failure, failure, bad, bad, not good enough, not good enough. Who wants to spend time with that person? 
I don't know if we put it in Peacemaking Women, but I will tell you, seriously, I am the exhibit A of how not to be, and Judy is so much the wisdom. And, but I remember once when I was, just like many of you, just beating myself up. And I say this to Sophie all the time now, but I quote Judy. Um, she said, you know, Tara, you can be so kind to the people around you, but if you spoke to me the way you speak to yourself, I wouldn't want to be around you either. And it was so convicting. She's like, she said, if it were Christianly, if it were godly, if it were loving of God and loving of neighbor to be so hypercritical, I would encourage you to do it. I would help you to do it. But there's nothing Christianly about it. Here is the Christian faith. Once we were strained like sheep, but we have returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. In the original Greek, there is an ongoing sense here that we are ongoing. Um, we're continually returning. We're continually drawing near. Why? This is the, the, the picture that Sophia, when she was seven, my seven-year-old, literally, as I was trying to explain this to her, said, Mom, stop. You've got to stop. I need to get a piece of paper and a pencil. <laughs> my mama, she is her mother's daughter. Yes? I was just like, I mean, the bad stuff, too, which I hate, and I wish she wasn't like me. But this one, I'm like, you bet, baby. You go get your office supplies. You know, there you go. <laughs> and because um, I was trying to explain this to her. I really wanted her to get it. And um, so here, here were the words, expiation and propitiation. So if you're a note taker, you can just write down those words. Expiation and propitiation. I said to Sophia, because Sophia, like me, and I have her permission to share this little part of the story with you, is um, she's prone to being very self-critical. I think a lot of children are, a lot of humans are, especially firstborns. But that temperament, that personality, Ella's more of a clown. You know, Ella just, we say words to Ella we never said to Sophia, like, Ella, you may not put food into the wall. I never said those words to Sophie, not once. Fred and I are sitting in the living room, and in walks Ella, two years old, you know, and she's just sopping wet, like, it, sopping wet. And, and immediately, of course, Fred and I are trying to figure out, because we didn't hear water running, and, you know, we don't have a pool in our kitchen. I don't know. What is this? And um, here's another word I never said to my firstborn. Ella, did you turn the dog dish of water over onto your head? And she went. <laughs> so she, you know, she called, she took it over and just, blink, like, <laughs> Let's see what happens if I pour water on it. So um, firstborn Sophie, she's very, you know, likes to, she's always liked to sort her crayons by color genre, you know, and all that. So I know. But she's really happy and laid back and really cool too. But um, I was trying to explain to her that God wasn't angry with her anymore. I'll say it again. God isn't angry with you anymore. Some of you are saying, no, 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 no. You don't know what I've done. You don't, you don't know. You say that, Tar, but you don't know. You don't know. You don't know. And I don't know the specifics, but I know the gospel. And if you are in Christ, a new creation, if you have been born again by the Spirit of God, if you once were darkness, but now you are light, if you're in this bunk and bronco ride with sin and fallenness and Satan and the world and this journey of sanctification that we're all on, so that that's why we sit there and say, no, God is angry with me. Because I, I can't, if I told you the deepest, darkest, darkness of my sin, <laughs> here's the thing, you would not have invited me to come and serve you today. <laughs> that's it. I am not standing here as someone who 
doesn't know what it's like to struggle with sin. But I know this. God is not angry with his children. Why? Because God put all of his anger and all of his wrath on Jesus. And when we are born again by the Spirit, we, all of our sin is expiated. It's taken out. See all the exit signs? Exit out. Expiation. And God is propitiated. Pro something. I am pro, uh, is it Jeremy Lynn? Jer- Jeremy Lynn? The basketball guy? Woohoo! It's so fun to have this young guy out there doing well. I mean, it's exciting. I don't know anything about sports, but I know the name Lynn. Lynn, Lynn Sania and Lynn Tastic and all that stuff. Because we're, it's pro, we're pro whatever sports league we are, right? We're for it. To be pro something is to be for it. Because when we are born again by the Spirit, our sin is expiated. Christ makes expiation for our sin. God the Father is propitiated. That means his wrath has been satisfied by Jesus, and he is for us. He's pro us. He loves us. He is no longer angry with us. Listen. God is fully appeased. And we can't add to that pleasure. We can't. We can't make God love us more. We Now, does that mean that sin doesn't matter? Of course not. Does that mean that we shouldn't be in the battle, and we're going to be talking about it, striving for righteousness? Of course we should be in the battle, striving for righteousness. And sin is important. But... The days that we get up and are a good day and we only yell at our children eight times instead of ten, does God love us more in that day than in the bad days? If he did, we are a people without hope. If God's love for us wavered based upon our performance, then all of us should be... um, just falling on our faces in the depths of despair with no hope because we could never be righteous enough. We could never be glorious enough and we could never be perfect enough and so in tune with the Father enough. That's why Jesus had to come in the flesh and live and die and be raised again in the flesh because we can't do it. So you guys, we all know this, don't you all? You know this theology. But all these words we said, they are showing that we know it confessionally, but we are not really apportioning it to ourselves. And I want you, and I want myself. And that is, by the way, what I did do when I would lie there in bed and these crushing um, feelings and emotions would come on me. And I, I literally said out loud, okay, I know I feel this way, but God has been propitiated. My sin is expiated. God is propitiated. These are not truths. All of this um, accusatory, all this accusation, isn't that what all those words are, accusation? Who accuses us? And the world. And our flesh. Our three enemies accuse us all the time. We have three enemies, Satan, the world, and our flesh. And they accuse us. You are not good enough. You are bad. You are faithless. You are weak. Jesus is our advocate. 
He's the lawyer. Yes. The good lawyer, not the Pharisee lawyer. The good lawyer, right? Jesus is the one who stands between you and the verdict of death. And he says, you're trying to accuse my daughter. You come through me. Now, you make an accusation against her that I did not satisfy, and then your wrath can go through to her. But is there any accusation that you can make against yourself, the world can make against you, Satan can make against you? Is there any accusation that Jesus' life and his perfection and his substitutionary death is not good enough for? But isn't that what we're saying every time we give ourselves over? to this self-condemning, graceless, shame-based living. It's like we're looking at Jesus on the cross and we're saying, yeah, it's not enough. I need to be good, too. Yeah, that's great. Thanks, Jesus. That's really good. But I know I also need to, and we fill in the blank. I need to add to his death. I need to add to it. And guys, this is, this is why it's such a hard burden to, to, uh, burden to get over is because it's a spiritual battle. Isn't it true? This is, I mean, for, for us to begin to walk in shalom and grace and confidence to return, that we have returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls and we're continually returning. Do you see how this is, this would be so amazing you, I know this is a beautiful facility, and I'm sure the OPC one is too, and all the other church represented, but you could not build facilities fast enough for all of the converts. I was just going to say, like, where am I again? Albuquerque. In Al- Albuquerque. <laughs> we couldn't build churches fast enough for all of the converts if we Christians began to live in light of these glorious truths. Because people would see something in us. They would is going on. I want what you have. I want to know what it is that makes you this way. And and, uh, let's just read one psalm as just this representation. Psalm 32. Thinking about our sin being expiated and God being propitiated. And and I'll only read the first three uh, stanzas of Psalm 32. Or maybe I'll read it all. I'm always looking at the clock. Psalm 32, blessed, and you know the word there, blessed, happy. Blessed is he, not happy in our shallow, worldly 21st century sense, happy in that shalom, secure, accepted, the girlfriend that you can put your hair back and, you know, share a toothbrush and a pinch if you had to, girlfriend, that friend when you're comfortable, really. I mean, it's gross, I know, but if you had to, in a pinch, you could do it, you know? <laughs> Samara's like, I would not do that with you. <laughs> I'm sorry, one, I'm going to read it, but Samara, another Ella, Ella thing, Ella came into the room one day and said, I drank Lilikoi's water, our golden retriever, the dogfish. <laughs> and I was so disgusted, and I, like, blogged it or put it on Facebook or something, and my friend Samara, everybody's like, oh, that's so gross, oh! terrible. And my, my friend Samara, though, she's like, I feel bad for Lily Koi. Have you ever drank something after a two-year-old? <laughs> you know how it's always so chunky? Like, after a two-year-old, she's like, okay, poor Ella, poor Lily Koi. I mean, this is gross. <laughs> so. Happy, blessed, secure, foundational. 
Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Listen, I, he doesn't just forgive our sin. He forgives the guilt of our sin. He forgives the nagging voice that jumps on you in the middle of the night. He forgives our sin, yes. And he forgives the guilt of our sin. He forgives all that accusation. Um, he forgives the stupidity of our sin. He forgives, he bears with, he loves us even though we are fallen. And by the way, a lot of us who are too hypercritical, um, sometimes it's not that we're even so upset about our sin. It's really more issues of fallenness and weakness and just the fact that we're human, right? If we were honest about it, the things that were just, were so, I'm not perfect, I'm not perfect, I'm not perfect. Yeah, you're human, right? And God, he covers it all. He wants, he he wants us. He wants you. And he wants you so much that he, he made a way to have you, and then he gave you the gift of repentance. This is an amazing thing to think about that, um, I can't remember which hymn it is, but you know where it says, all, all I need is even to feel my need for you, Lord. The sense that we even have a need for God is an evidence of God at work in our lives. That we even feel the lack that's a sign that he's at work in our spirit, that he is our misery when we are caught in sin, habitual sin. And some of us are. We have ruling lusts. We have habitual sins. And my basic retreat or the video series, you know, we have that whole two sessions on it. The fact that our bones are crushed as in the heat of day, the very fact that we are miserable is another evidence of God and his grace at work in our lives, leading us to do what? To be better and stop being bad people. No, leading us to repentance and faith. See, it is faith that triumphs because we put our faith where? Not in ourselves, but in another, in the righteousness of another. Um, if we do this, I keep quoting Ed Welch. I'm such a junkie, but it's true. Um, he uses the word and I think this is in his Bible study. So I've told you about this book a lot, Running Scared. But do you want to do a journal um, Bible study exercise? This is what he wrote. It's called When I Am Afraid, a step-by-step -step guide away from fear and anxiety. So it's actually like a um, fill-in-the-blank, look up the different Bible passages. I, I like that. I'm a writer, so I like to um, write things down. He says, our souls can take a sabbatical from worry. Wouldn't you like to take a sabbatical from worry? Just take a break. If we were to do this, our bodies would follow. And this is the last section that we're just going to touch briefly on your notes. It says, our bodies. This is the will of God that each of you should control his own body in holiness and honor. And then we're going to um, break for lunch. If we have this soul aspect, this sabbatical from worry, believing the expiation, the propitiation, and the gospel, and acceptance, and all of these things... Think about the impact it will have on our bodies as regards fear and worry and anxiety and 
condemnation and all these things. Now, here's where I start. I'm just shaking in my kids, and I'm really, I am. Um, because do you know how mean Christians can be when it comes to things related to medical diagnoses, especially psychiatric or psychotherapeutic or counseling? And even some of you right now, like the hackles went up on the back of your neck at just even the word psychiatric. Something inside of you said, no, right? Um, I know it because I get the emails and I know it. Um, I want you to know I take this all very seriously. And I am not standing here as someone who has not personally and people I love and godly men and women who've helped me to try to think these things through. But I realize that people will disagree with me. And I'm just going to say it right now. So again, you can write me letters if you want, but I already know you disagree with me, and that's okay. Um, Godly, wise, mature, spirit-filled people disagree about this. But I'm going to lay out for you my convictions in this regard, and then I just encourage you to think through your own, right? And look at scripture and talk to people and live life, right? Because that's another thing. Sometimes we have these great big ideas, but then we never actually bring them into real life. And um, I want to give you a few examples about this and just hopefully to, to challenge you to think about it. So at least you come to your own convictions in regard to this topic. So uh, here it is, just the, the quick little, um, here's the quick summary. At the very least, can we all agree that we are created in two substances, spirit and body? I hope that we can come on that because the Bible is very clear. And I can't say the right uh, words, but in the spirit, um, as regards to spirit, scripture uses words like the heart, cardia, the mind, dinoia, Frenies, nuos. My daughter knows Latin. I don't know Greek or Latin, so I don't know. Um, but it says the heart, the soul, the psyche, the nephesh, the conscience, the inner self, the inner man. Can we all see the soul, right? And the Bible uses different words, but it talks about soul. But then we are physical beings in a body, and the Bible uses words that I can say like um, temple of the Holy Spirit, hooray, or corporeal, right? Corporal um, body, so this nature. Now, emotions like fear, we talked briefly about in the first session, but you can see how there's physical and there's emotional or physical or spiritual or physical or psychotherapeutical or psychiatric. I mean, the words, but spirit and body, spirit and body. For example, um, depression, as someone who knows what depression is like, can't, it can be traced to some behaviors and choices I make and beliefs I hold um, when I am not in, in the word and I am not in church and I avoid fellowship and prayer and I stay in my basement and all I drink is soda, the good stuff, sugar and caffeine, the real soda, mm-hmm, just the way, yeah, I know that diet business. And I don't drink enough water and I don't exercise and I don't get fresh air and I'm depressed. Shocking, right? Um, But there are also some things, and not even getting into the whole debate about the gray areas, uh, I I would just be so surprised if people could could argue with this, but there are some um, chemical and hormonal imbalances that lend themselves to depression. Tim Keller, he has a sermon, um, another one on fear, and he says in there, because he suffered from thyroid cancer, and um, he had to go through really very hard treatment for thyroid cancer, and he says... If your thyroid is off, at some point, you will want to kill yourself. 
Now, I don't know, I've never had thyroid problems, but he said, if your thyroid is off, at some point, everybody, you will want to end your life. It's just that bad, and it whacks everything out. I mean, to have a great and godly person say that, I was just amazed. But um, there's certain chemotherapy things, uh, chemotherapies as well, that it is just every, every test and every measure shows that if you are on this certain chemotherapy, you are going to be prone to depression, you know, uh, uh, um, allowing for all other dependent variables to be controlled. Okay. But at the same time, the scripture doesn't speak. It's like here's soul and then there's body, and it's always a duality. There's really a unity. And that's why we want to be careful when we talk about these things because um, to just throw a medicine on top of a symptom without ever dealing with the moral issues or the behavioral issues or the theological issues, that's to deny who we really are, isn't it? It's to say, I'm afraid, hey, you know what? If I take this pill, and by the way, I have, so I know, um, if I take a certain pill, my feelings of fear will go away. It's like some people, I don't know if you're teetotalers or where your convictions are in alcohol, but some people have, you know, if I have that one glass of Merlot, ooh, it calms them down. Or exercise. Oh, some of you I can tell because you're really fit. Um, you'll exercise. You know, if I run and I, and I break through the six and a half hour mark, I don't know. I don't know where it is, you know, because I've never hit it. But um, <laughs> don't you, you press through and you get that endorphin release, right? Something positive happens. You can run all you want. But if there is conflict in your marriage or there's brokenness here or you don't have a budget, right, where Larry Briquette would be very frustrated or, you know what I mean? Like, if you're not dealing with the behavioral things and the theological things and the relational things and you're just trying to get that physical release, however you get it, all of that baggage is still going to be there. Isn't that true? So we don't, we don't want to separate. But here's the thing. Sometimes we go, I believe, too far to the other side, and we never say it's appropriate to get medical help, and I don't believe that is wise. And I will give you two examples of why not, and I could give you a hundred examples of why not, but I will give um, two. One time I was walking in the grocery store, on, I'm always on the Bluetooth when I'm by myself, and um, so I look a little schizophrenic, actually. But... Um, my, I was talking with my friend, and I am telling you, as I was talking with her, I remember I, where I was, I stopped because I could tell she was having a psychotic break. I have been around people who have had psychotic breaks. She was not functioning in reality. She was not safe. And I immediately got through to her. Her, I said, I need your husband, and she needed help. And she, she, something was so chemically off in her brain, that she actually needed medical intervention to keep her sane. It wasn't long. And by the way, she leads a women's ministry. She knows the Bible inside and out much better than me, for sure, by like a million. Um, she's incredibly godly and wise. She's done counsel. I mean, she's an incredible woman. But something happened, and she needed medical help, not just for the chemical aspects. There were also behavioral things and things that had to go on. But in that moment... Um, she needed that to keep herself, herself safe. A second example um, of another very good friend, godly, the, uh, theological seminary that you people in this room would respect, graduate. And um, she had her third child, and she had a postpartum break. Again, you can describe it with different words or however you want to say it, but it was a psychotic break or a, a mental breakdown such that she was not safe to be left with her children. Not for long, 
It didn't last for very long. It, it lasted for a few weeks stretch. But I was talking with her, and I knew she needed help. And she got it. She got pastoral help. She had biblical counseling help. And she had medical intervention. Now, listen, this woman would jump in front of a bullet for her children. She is godly and loving and wise and insightful. But something was happening in her body that she needed for a season to never be alone with those children. And she needed to not be alone by herself because she could have harmed herself. And it didn't last forever. And I tell you, here's the thing. A lot of times in the church, we don't want to talk about this stuff. But it's happening. And then you know what happens? Godly, spirit-filled, biblically astute, wise people hide. They say, I can't talk about this in my church. My church is not a safe enough place for me, so I'm going to go and get medical help, but I'm going to separate it from my spiritual life and my relationships. Friends, we should not do that. Now, I give you these two extreme examples, and of course, the norm is much different. The norm is, and statistically, in this room right now, um, most, more than half of what people would describe as born-again or evangelical Christian women have, at some point or another, been on some kind of psychiatric medicine, antidepressant, anti-anxiety medicine. They go to their doctor, they give them a pill, and they don't talk about it in their Bible studies or their prayer groups or with their pastors or in their counseling. It's a hidden thing. It's one of those things that keeps us hidden in darkness and shame and secret instead of coming out. And so here is my conviction. I truly believe that we are to be in the church the wisest and the most astute and the most equipped we can possibly be so that we never have any aspect of our lives that we keep separate from the church. That the church is not a place that we can't say, Scripture is sufficient for this. I can look to the Bible under the authority of my ordained leaders and the fellowship of the church being fed by the preaching of the word, the sacrament of communion. And I, all of that, that Christian world is big enough for whatever it is. The suicidal attempt of my teenage child, my bipolar parent, my um, manically depressed child, whatever it is. Do you see it? I, we have to close, but I, I just want to challenge you. Are you there? Are you a safe person? Is your women's ministry safe? And by the way, not just safe, smart, equipped. Have you studied? Have you known enough to know you don't know enough? If somebody, by the way, if somebody's in a women's Bible study and they have a psychotic break, like they are not functioning in reality, are you like a deer in the headlights just like, zing? or do you have a plan? Um, I, I had a women's a Bible study once where I literally, I had to have a plan. I had to have a member of our peacemaking team and a pastor on site every Wednesday for that Bible study because we had a person who struggled with mental illness in the study. And I knew, right, they could break down the whole study to where all we did every week was this one person, and that's not women's Bible study. At the same time, I needed to know that if things got, let's say hairy, right? <laughs> I had a plan. Like, what am I going to do in that moment to get that person to the helps who are working with the deacons and the elders and her medical team and her counselor? Do you see it? Are you, are you equipped now? Are you ready? If not, please, please um, get equipped. 
I dislike the Ed Welch retreat, but I put it in your notes, so I might as well say it to close the session. Do you see the, the last quote in this section? It says, psychiatric problems are always spiritual problems and sometimes physical problems. Isn't that? Psychiatric problems are always spiritual problems. There's always a spiritual element, but sometimes there's also a physical element. And I think too many of us are just on the medical pill without ever addressing the underlying issues. So that's not the quick hit. At the same time, can we talk about the medical component without having some kind of quick jump to conclusion of condemnation?